Lord, may it indeed be true of us that we are coming back to the heart of worship because we've made it all about you. Now, Lord, prepare our hearts and open our minds that we may hear from you through the preaching of the word of God. May they not hear my voice, may they hear the very voice of Jesus himself this morning. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat, if you would. We just ended our series on angry birds, how to deal with conflict. Um, And now we're going to begin a new sermon series. For the next couple weeks before we go into Easter, um, it's what the Bible says about, and this is the, the new sermon series. And we'll look at a variety of topics, but in light of the ever-changing culture that we live in, and what is right is now wrong, and what is wrong is now right, there's a lot of confusion out there, let's bring some clarity, let's bring the truth back into the picture. And so that's what we're going to do with this series, what the Bible says about through a series of topics. We're going to look at, this morning though, the very basic building block of society, and that is the family. What the Bible says about family, that's this morning. We're going to begin by talking about the family redefined. Now you may remember this, but for those of you that don't, sometimes we need to hear this stuff over and over and over again, but in 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson announced the Great Society Proposal. I wasn't alive then. Do you remember that, for those of you that are older? Yeah. Which would create a new welfare programs, expand food stamps, give birth to Medicaid and Medicare, fund the arts, and more. It was also called the War on Poverty. But perhaps, unknowingly, the government redefined family and marriage with welfare playing the role of the father. Now that was over 55 years ago. To be exact, it was what, 58 years ago? How has that worked out? Well, speaking just of white and black families, the conservative radio host Larry Helder said this, the number one problem domestically Facing this country is the breakdown of the family. President Barack Obama said that a kid raised without a dad is five times more likely to be poor and commit crimes, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. Those are some staggering numbers. In 1890, if you go back and look at the census reports, um, because the, the Great Society and the Welfare Project really has, um, well, it's basically almost destroyed the the black family. Um, But in 1890, a black kid was slightly more likely to be born to a nuclear intact family than a white kid. Even during slavery, a black kid was more likely to be born under his roof with a biological mother and a biological father than today. This is in 2016, he said this. 
What happens is when we launched this war on poverty in the 1960s where Lyndon Johnson literally sent people knocking on doors. He says, I lived in the 60s. People knocked on doors appraising women of their availability to welfare, providing there was no man in the house. And we went from 25% of black blacks being born outside of wedlock in 1965 to 75% right now. That is a staggering statistic. And if you look at how much money we spent on welfare and the lines are parallel, it was a neutron bomb dropped on this country and not just on the black community, but on people in general. At one time, only about 5% of whites were born out of wedlock. Now 25% of whites are born outside of wedlock. It is the number one problem in this country, and what we've done is economically incentivized women to marry the government, and we allow men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility, and now we have this, and the left, I mean the liberal left, has done this. Well, the answer to this problem, according to Larry Elder, is you've got to reverse the welfare state. Well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So what have we done? Well, we've continued to redefine the family. In 1996, Hillary Clinton wrote the book, It Takes a Village and Other Lessons Children Teach Us. In it, Clinton presents her vision for the children of America. She focuses on the impact individuals and groups outside the family have on a child and advocates a society which meets all of a child's needs. The theme of the book, taken from the title, aroused immediate opposition within the United States, and a well-known instance of this occurred during the 1996 presidential election. I can't believe it. I didn't watch politics at all back then. I was too busy raising kids, but I did see this. During his acceptance speech at the Republican National Convention, Republican Party nominee Bob Dole said this. Remember this? With all due respect, I'm here to tell you, it does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a family to raise a child. Do you guys remember that at all? Anybody? Yeah. But what has happened to the family since this book was written? Well, according to a 2015 Pew Research survey, family life is changing. Uh, Two-parent households are on the decline in the United States as divorce, remarriage, and cohabitation are on the rise. Families are smaller now, both due to the growth of single-parent households and the fact that Americans are having fewer children. And in the early 1960s, babies typically arrived within a marriage. Today, four out of ten births occur to women who are single or living with a non-marital partner. Now, if you can see this graph here, I tried to make it as big as I could without it bloating up there, but you're going to see right here, for example, uh, the 1960, uh, two parents in a marriage, and here we are in 2014, that's down to 46%. That is a major drop. Of course, we have you know, two parents in remarriage. Those numbers roughly stay the same, but we see an increase in single parents from 1960 to 19, or 2014. Okay. In the first, now we have cohabitating parents. They're not just staying together, just not getting married. He said, the article says, the graph tells us that there is no longer one dominant family form in the United States. I mean, those are just staggering numbers, aren't they? Very sobering as well. 
Now, picking up on this trend, uh, Hollywood launched one of the most popular and longest-running television shows of all time, Modern Family. It was an American television family sitcom, and it ran for 11 seasons. To put it in perspective, Seinfeld ran, what, nine or ten seasons? Yeah. On ABC television for 11 seasons, it follows the lives of three diverse family setups in suburban Los Angeles, a nuclear family, or our traditional family, of a husband and a wife and children, um, a blended family, I mean a divorced couple, and same-sex family. It won multiple awards, a total of 22 Emmy Awards from 75 nominations, and an article entitled, Five Ways Modern Family Has Changed How We Look at Families, Anastasia Cotone, writes how a show once considered controversial have become a staple in modern television. The author unveils America's changing understanding of the definition of family. She writes this. Over the years, the ideals and expectations of families have changed drastically. Fifty years ago, the ideal family dynamic was that of a man, a woman, and at least two children. Men and women were expected to settle down have children, and remain together for the rest of their lives. However, as times, gender roles, and acceptance of different sexualities have changed, so too have typical family dynamics. The author lists five ways the show has portrayed the shift in family ideals over the years and encouraged society to be more accepting of familiar differences. And here are three of the five that she wrote recommends. Homosexuality, unconventional relationships, i.e. divorced parents, and women who take on husband-like characteristics. So, homosexuality, divorce, and sex role reversal are now affirmed by our society for the family. And I don't have to ask you to raise your hands if you know of any of those three types of families the hands would probably almost every hand would go up. Now keep in mind that um, this television sitcom had already portrayed a same-sex couple as an acceptable definition of family. Remember, it started in 2009 because the government made it official on June 26, 2015, when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down all state bans on same-sex marriage and legalized it in all 50 states. Remember that. With so much confusion on what a family is, I thought, you know what? It's time to look what the Bible says about family. So let's get, look at what I would call a, the biblical definition of family. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. It's hard to find. Or get your phone or tablet out. Genesis chapter 1. That was not my son who said, where is it at? That was Chase. (laughs) Okay, everyone there? In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, first book in the Bible. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill all the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So according to the Bible, God himself ordained the family as the foundation of human society. The family was God's first earthly institution because there was a Because there was a government or a church here doing marriage and the family as the basic building blocks of society. So there was no government or church. The family is to reflect his image. We are image bearers of God. That's what the family is supposed to do. Reproduce his image worldwide through children and exercise his rule through the divinely created institution of the family to be a blessing to society. So it all began with the family. Go to Genesis chapter 2, start at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. By the way, on a side note here, you and I grew up with the caveman, right? The Neanderthal man. We were taught that in history. That's a lie. It never happened. What was Adam doing? What was he showing here by naming every living creature at that time? Great intelligence, okay? Not stained by sin. I just want to throw that in there, so... Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall cleave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the goodness of creation, and we didn't read it because it would take too much time, is the main theme of the first two chapters of Genesis because the phrase, God saw that it was good, is repeated six times. So anytime you see a, a word repeated or a phrase repeated over and over again, what is the author trying to tell you? Well, that's important. Okay, and so everything God created was good. Okay? Six times a scripture describes the successive days of the creation week. However, in Genesis 2.18, what do we read? It's not good that man should be alone. And this verse stands out starkly in the biblical creation story. That's his point. Every aspect of the universe was finished. Each galaxy, star, planet, rock, grain of sand, and tiny molecule was in place. All the species of living things that have been created. 
Adam had already given names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But there was still one glaring, unfinished aspect of creation. For Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Genesis 2.20. Adam was alone and in need of a suitable mate, a helper. Therefore, God's final act of creation on day six, this is really the crowning step that made everything in the universe perfect. It was accomplished by the forming of Eve from Adam's rib. Then he brought her to the man and performed the first marriage, Genesis 2, 22. And by that first act, and by that act, God established the family for all time. Because the Genesis account says, obviously, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined his wife, they shall become one flesh. Now Jesus quotes this verse, Genesis 2, 24, Obviously, it's in Matthew 19.5. It underscores the sanctity and the permanence of marriage as an institution and as a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And according to Scripture, that is precisely the way God designed it to be. But the truth is quite opposite in the fallen world. It doesn't take a village to raise a family. It takes a family, a husband and a wife. One man, one woman, and as we're going to find out, it also takes the Spirit of God who unites them together. Everybody turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. This is near the back of the Bible. I'll give you time to get there. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, on and on you go. Make sure you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, okay? Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The Apostle Paul affirms the teachings that, that was set up by Jesus as the creator in the Genesis narrative and also by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. This is a longer passage to read, but we'll get to it. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or drunkenness, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject or submit to one another in the fear of Jesus, or the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband by mowing the lawn. Children, (laughs) obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So once again, we see Scripture via Paul, the apostle, underscoring the sanctity and permanence of marriage between a man and a woman as a divinely created institution. But there's something else here too that I want you to see, which is why we read this passage. The family relationships are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Both husband and wife controlled by the Spirit of God. That's Ephesians 5.18. You see that? He's talking to everybody. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So husbands and wives are to be filled or controlled by the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled. Obedient to the Word of God. That's verse 19. Filled with joy in praise and thanksgiving to God for every single thing in your life. That's verse 20. And eager to submit their will to everybody else. That's verse 21. This is how meaningful family and marriage relationships are to function by God's design. And so we see the function of the family is ultimately what? It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spirit-empowered issue. This is why the world's definition of family fails. And what does the world offer? Well, the current trend today is all about self. I'm going to stay with you as long as you give me what I want. And when you don't give me what I want, I'm out of this relationship. You see, the emphasis is on individualism. It's on rights. It's on freedoms. And those folks are absolutely deadly to any meaningful marriage and family relationships. But there's also this, and we'll get into this later in another sermon, because in great detail, Paul defines the role of a husband, wife, and children for a biblically-based family that are to mirror his image as a triune God. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. There's the husband, there's the wife, and there's the children. A trinity. All image bearers to reflect and glorify God. And when the family functions by his definition, God blesses society. Because that's the way it was in the very beginning. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You're being given dominion over the earth. And so the family, I mean, it is, it is absolutely vital, of utmost importance for a society, for a nation. What's happened? Well, the family has come under attack. Now listen to this. Go back. Do I have it in here? To Genesis chapter 3. So well, I was just there, Pastor. Well, suck it up. Well, I went back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Now Satan, knowing that 
God intended to bless the world through the institution of the family, attacked the family. In fact, that was his first attack. Find it in Genesis chapter three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what did Satan do? He ignored God's design for the family. The devil, in one strategic act of treachery, undermined not only the first family, but God's entire system of earthly rule. You have to see that, okay? Think about this. God is the head of man. This is all from the Bible. Man is the head of the woman, and mankind together, and parents are the head of the children, okay? But mankind together presides over the animal kingdom. So we have God, head of man, man, the head of the woman, and together, the husband and wife, preside over the animal kingdom. And essentially, the pattern was God, man, woman, animals. And you, if you're going to write anything down, it'd probably be that. God, man, woman, animals. That's the hierarchy. Set up by God. And Satan literally turned that entire system on its head. An animal, the serpent, came to the woman, Eve, counseled her to act independently of her husband, Adam, and to disobey the creator, God. The exact reverse. And ultimately, we see the fall of man was a case of sex role reversal, an attack on the family. Now, what the rest of the Bible tells us is that when the structure of the family is in confusion, it breaks down and destruction reigns. So let's, for example, you know your Bible history if you do, look at the family structure. Look at Adam's family. After the fall of man, what happens? Well, the confused family structure results in rebellious children committing crimes. Cain kills Abel, right? Well, Satan continues his attack on the family and sends evil spirits to cohabitate with the daughters of men, corrupting society. It's in Genesis chapter 6. Society breaks down to such an extent that God hits the reset button. With what? A flood. Genesis 6, 6 through 8. He destroys the world with a flood, and he starts over again with what? A family. Noah and his family. Tragically, as Satan continues his attack on the institution of the family, humanity falls into the same pattern. Now, I'm not going to have you go there. I'm going to put this verse up here because you guys probably stretched your eyes to read it, but I didn't want you to turn to Isaiah because it's kind of hard to find. Isaiah 
Here's the pattern. Now watch this. You look at this verse. This is thousands of years after Genesis. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground. Now, Isaiah introduces what I call a new puppet that Satan uses to attack the family. The question is, who is confusing the people and leading them down the path of destruction? Well, it says the guides, the elders and princes of the people. See that? Let me rephrase this group of people with a term that you can relate to. The guides, the elders and princes of the people, are the government. The government replaced God's definition of the family when they redefined marriage. They're not... That's not their domain. God determines that. They stepped out of their, their authority and their domain, and God is letting that country, our country, reap the benefits or the consequences of that. Just take a look at what happens to society when the government redefines the family. The family is thrown into confusion. I mean, just by this verse alone. Children become rebellious. They're their oppressors. Women abandon their biblical role. They're the ones ruling over. The ones ruling. Men become passive and weak. And the structure of society collapses as God enters into judgment against the nation. And this passage shows us that when the government redefines what God has already defined, the government is now in conflict with God. And God always responds in judgment by giving the society over to what they want and inevitably destruction follows. That's the way it works. That's Romans chapter 1. It's judgment all over again. So the nation, see folks, the nation only survives if what? If the family survives. The nation only survives if the family survives. If the family is in confusion, there will be no blessing to the nation because the blessing is to come through what? The institution of the family created by God and ordained by God. But when the government undermines the family as God created it to be, the nation will not be healed, crime will not go down, and order and civility will not be restored to society. The attacks on the family have been relentless in human history. Like a frog in a kettle of slowly boiling water, the concept of family has been subtly attacked to the point that today, casual sex is expected. Divorce is epidemic. Casual sex outside of marriage. Divorce is epidemic. Marriage itself is in decline as multitudes of men and women have decided it's preferable to live together without formally constituting a family. Those statistics prove that. Abortion is a worldwide plague. Juvenile delinquency is rampant. Many parents have deliberately abandoned their role of authority in the family. Child abuse 
in many forms is escalating. Special interest groups and even government agencies seem bent on the dissolution of the traditional family. Tax laws do what to marriage? They penalize marriage. And government welfare rewards childbirth outside of wedlock. Now all these trends are attacks on the sanctity of the family. And yet none of these attacks, in my opinion, are as bold or were as bold and as blatant as what was discovered during the summer of 2020. The Black Lives Matter movement listed on their website a series of beliefs. Here is what they stated about the family. Did I put that up there or not? No, I did not. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families in villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. They are against the Black Lives Matter movement, the nuclear family, which is the traditional family consisting of a father and a mother and their children. And I just, it's beyond my imagine, it's beyond my thinking, I cannot comprehend it. Why in the world would God's institution, the church, support, and their churches are, the Black Lives Matter movement? that is seeking to destroy. It was so controversial, so bold, so brazen, that they got so much kickback that the Black Lives Matter organization had to remove that statement and others from their website. But notice that I read to you, they're not for a family, they're for a village. Now where'd they get that idea from? Not a traditional or nuclear family, they want a village to raise their children. This attack on the family has devastating consequences. Folks, one of the reasons God created family is to teach succeeding generations the concept of authority. I mean, that's authority structure. God, man, woman, child, you know, animal kingdom. There's a rule. The child rules over the animal kingdom. The parents rule over the children. The man rules over the woman in a marriage relationship. God rules over them all. You have to understand authority, which is why it's so interesting when that, that soldier who understood authority had a servant that was sick, and he, wanted, he sought Jesus. He said, just ask him. If he says the word, he doesn't need to come to see me because I'm a man under authority. I say this, this man he goes and does it, this man he does it, and so on and so forth. And Jesus marveled at him and said he has not found such great faith. What did that soldier understand? Authority. If Jesus said it, it was going to happen. And so you need to teach your children authority. That's what the, part of the reason that you're a family. Yeah, you want to fill the earth with God's people for sure, but you're going to teach these children to respect authority. So you think of the family as, as parental authority. Family is a father and a mother in a union, and it is the divinely created institution for the formation of restrained sinners. I need to restrain my children from sin. You can have a, a, a I mean, and, and it doesn't matter the color of your skin. You can have a, a, a drug kingpin, a lord, that will stop doing something because his mother tells him to. The most famous athlete, perhaps in all of our time, Michael Jordan, did a special uh, called The Last Dance. And he had, uh, sitting on a chair, he had alcohol in one hand and a cigar in the other hand. The next scene, next episode, it was gone. And they asked him why. He says, because my mama called me and told me not to do that. But the family, 
is a father and a mother in a union and is the divinely created institution for the formation of restrained sinners who by generations of morality, discipline, love, virtue, and obedience become a benefit to society, enjoy God's gift, and are grateful. In other words, I am raising my children to just be functional and a benefit to society. They're not gonna become criminals. They're gonna be good, upright, standing people who understand authority and work hard, take responsibility, and go on and create their own families that are gonna do the same thing I do, or else I'm gonna come out of the grave and kick their you-know-whats. Right? But that's what, the, that's what God's saying here, is that it's a family, the family structure. Okay? But if you want to destroy society, you attack the family. And how do you do it? Well, you have a feminist movement that trashes men, who thereby lose all authority and respect in the family. You bring in divorce, domestic violence, sexual morality, homosexuality, gender confusion, and you just destroyed the divinely created institution for the, for the formation of restrained sinners. So in any society, has most of its children being born without a mother and a father, married in the home, and when they have experienced no acceptable love and discipline, no direction in a stable home, you've just removed one monumental restraint from society. As I said this morning in Sunday school, that's what we saw this past, or the summer of 2020, with all those riots, all those young people running around, breaking the law brazenly. Where was the mother and father in that? Well, they weren't raised with a mother and father. They weren't raised to obey the law, to respect authority, to put the interests of others first. The actor Denzel Washington talks about the role his parents played in restraining sin in his life. He was interviewed about incarceration rates among minorities, and this is what he said. He says, where is his father? It starts in the house. It starts in the home. Well, my father got locked up. Well, where was his father? I did talk about my three closest friends. They did 15 to 25 years. One did 28 years. I was the only one of the three that a father in my life. Even though my parents weren't together, but I still had a father who was a gentle man and a good example, and they didn't. I mean, they can blame the system if they want, but they didn't lock up any of us at seven. In fact, we were all doing enough to get locked up at 13, but my parents sent me in another direction. They didn't have anybody to help them, and they kept doing what they were doing, and the system got them. The family broke down, and the system got them. It is significant, and you, you know, this is why you read the whole Bible. This is the last verse of the Old Testament. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb and all, for all Israel. People, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. That was Jesus. And he will turn what? That's the first thing he says he does. Turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their father. In other words, he's going to restore what? The family. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God will strike the land. The last verse of the Old Testament. He will strike the land with a curse because the family is in chaos. When a culture has failed families, 
the culture suffers. And so it's obvious, it's a simple point this morning. You gotta invest in the family. Now, what does that mean for you? Some of us are older here. Well, it means that you, maybe you support an organization like Focus on the Family. Maybe you take aside your children or your grandchildren when you're with them and start teaching them these basic principles about the family. Start instilling family values in their lives. Pray for your family. These are all things that you can do to invest in the family. Because as the family goes, and they say this, as the leader goes, so goes the organization. Well, guess what? As the family goes, so goes the nation. So goes the, the world in that sense. That's what the Bible says in about 35 minutes, 40 minutes, about the family. And it is a message that is desperately needed today. Let's pray. Lord, as we close our Bibles, I pray that what has been said here this morning will penetrate our hearts and minds to the very core of who we are and that we would internalize the truths about the family and then make any changes as we feel led by the Holy Spirit to our families. Lord, I thank you that you can, through the family, heal the land. And we pray for healing in our lives and in our families. And as we close with a song this morning, we want you to be glorified. Thank you for creating the institution of the family. And all the blessings that we've derived from that institution. And all God's people said, Amen. Please stand with me as we'll close with the song this morning.